scripture reading this morning is taken from Genesis chapter 12. So please open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 12, beginning at verse 1. The call of Abraham. Now the Lord said to Abraham, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abraham went, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abraham was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abraham took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people that they had acquired in Haran, and they set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place at Shechem, to the oak of Moreh. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and I on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abraham journeyed on, still going toward the Negev. Verse 10. Now there was a famine in the land. So Abraham went down to Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was severe in the land. When he was about to enter Egypt, he said to Sarai, his wife, I know that you are a woman beautiful in appearance, and when the Egyptians see you, they will say, This is his wife. Then they will kill me, but they will let you live. Say you are my sister, that it may go well with me because of you, and that my life may be spared for your sake. When Abraham entered Egypt, the Egyptians saw that the woman was very beautiful, and when the princes of Pharaoh saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh. And the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house, and for her sake he dealt well with Abram, and he had sheep, oxen, male donkeys, male servants, female servants, female donkeys, and camels. But the Lord afflicted Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. So Pharaoh called Abram and said, What is this you have done to me? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister, so that I took her for my wife? Now then, here is your wife, take her and go. And Pharaoh gave men orders concerning him, and they sent him away with his wife and all that he had. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Thanks, Rachel, for reading scripture for us. And a very good morning to all of you. Good to see you all gathered here on this Lord's Day as we worship God corporately. Uh, yes, as Caleb mentioned, we are starting a new sermon series. We're going, we'll, be, we'll be spending some time in the book of Genesis, from Genesis 12 to 50. 
looking at them uh, week by week until August. So do be in prayer for the sermon series. And if you'd like to uh, find out what the, the division of the chapters are across the sermon series, you can find that on our website. It gives you the schedule of upcoming passages and sermons. So do, do refer to that. And if you can, you might want to read Genesis ahead of time uh, as you prepare to listen to God's Word on the weekends. Uh, let me pray for us as we come to the Word together. Let's all pray. Gracious Father, we thank you for your truth. We pray that you would instruct our hearts. We pray that your Spirit would powerfully open our hearts to you. Uh, we pray that you would give life, that you would give spiritual sight. Uh, we pray that you would be pleased to grant the gift of faith so that we might trust you and walk in your ways. We pray this for Jesus' sake. Amen. I think, brothers and sisters, we've heard about quite a number of things that are happening in the life of the church. Uh, calling of new elders, which I'm grateful for, grateful for men stepping forward, being willing to serve as shepherds over this body. Uh, grateful for uh, new births. Uh, and also we continue to bear the burdens of those who struggle with long-term illness, those who struggle with bereavements. I think we bear their burdens and their sorrows as well together as a family. Uh, you know, all these things seem unrelated, but yet they are all a part of what God is doing in the world. So what is God doing in the world? You know, what in the world is God doing? You know, when we look at all that is happening around us, the times that we live in seem concerning and confusing. And this is true even without a pandemic. You know, COVID-19 has merely added to our fear, our worry and anxiety. You know, what is God's plan amid all of this? Is, is there a plan? You know, where do we fit in, in the larger scheme of things? You know, do you ever feel as if your life is like you're just a cog in the machine, you know, just getting things done every day, but not really knowing how you fit in with the bigger picture? Our lives can seem so small and mundane, maybe even insignificant in the larger scheme of things. Where do we fit in in this whole scheme? And what if we can be a part of something truly significant? What if I were to say that our lives can mean so much more than just this small existence that we've come to be accustomed to? Genesis, the first book of the Bible, helps us to think about these big questions. Last year, in a sermon series entitled Foundations, we covered the first 11 chapters of Genesis. And we called the series Foundations because these chapters are foundational in helping us understand who God is, who we are, what God made us for, and what has gone wrong with us and with the world. Just a very quick recap of the first 11 chapters in a paragraph. God created us in His image to reflect His character and His ways. God created us to know Him, to enjoy Him in His presence forever. But the first man and first woman turned away from God. And because of Adam's sin, all of humanity fell with him. And since the fall, history has been this recurring cycle of sin and judgment. Adam and Eve are banished from the Garden of Eden Cain, their son, murdered his brother, Abel. And except for Noah and his family, the rest of humanity perished 
in the judgment of the flood. And even after that deluge, humanity continued to rebel against God. And the people of Babel, they tried to build a tower to make a name for themselves. So Genesis 3 to 11 tells a rather dismal story of worsening sin. And we are justified in asking in these chapters, what is God doing amid the mess? Well, in Genesis 3, we, we see a small glimmer of hope. Right? In God's judgment of the serpent, God says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. So Genesis 3.15 gives hope for sinners like us. God promises in that verse to deal with sin. God promises to deal with the root of that temptation, which is Satan himself. So God promises to defeat Satan, sin, and death. And he will raise up a serpent-crushing seed of the woman to bring this about. So Genesis 3.15 poses a question to us. Right? Who is this serpent-crushing seed? You know, I'm a Star Wars fan. You know, those of you who are old enough to remember Star Wars when it first came out. Uh, Star Wars, you know, we know Star Wars. It's a science fiction, science fiction epic. You know, big, big epic story with galaxies, planets, spaceships, aliens, etc., etc. You know, a really big story, right? But at, at its core, you know, what is Star Wars? It's a drama. And it's actually a family drama. Right? It's, the, it's the story of one family whose surname is Skywalker. And the destiny of the entire galaxy hangs on just a few generations of Skywalkers. I think it's three generations of Skywalkers. And in fact, if you, if you listen to Star Wars creator George Lucas talk about his creation, he says he describes it as a soap opera. So you know, those of you who don't like science fiction, you might want to watch Star Wars. It's a really good soap opera. You know, it's a soap opera about family problems. That, that's how George Lucas describes the movie. And he has a point. Right? Because the whole story just revolves around this one family. A dysfunctional family, to be sure. But you know, the, the fate of the galaxy rests on them. And in a similar way, as, as we think about God's plan of salvation, it, it's also a drama that's centered on one family. You know, God doesn't always work in big and dramatic ways. I mean, he can clearly do so. But He also works often quietly, through ordinary means and ordinary lives. I think the surprising turn in God's plan of salvation is that He doesn't accomplish His plan through the powerful movers and shakers of the world, but He works through an ordinary family. Uh, in fact, He works through a nobody. So beloved, be encouraged. We may seem unremarkable, our lives may seem insignificant to the world, but be encouraged that God is able to work through ordinary people like me and you to accomplish His extraordinary purposes. And, and in fact, I, I, I think that God desires to do so, He's pleased to do so, so that all the glory goes to Him. And the last few verses of Genesis 11 signal the beginning of a new part in the story. Verse 27. Now these are the generations of Terah. Terah fathered Abram, Nahor, and Haran, and Haran fathered Lot. 
You know, every time we see that phrase, these are the generations in the book of Genesis, they signal the beginning of a new section in the book of Genesis. And there are about 10 of these new sections in Genesis, 10 of these phrases signaling new sections in the book of Genesis. So here, uh, Moses, who wrote this book, is signaling the beginning of a new chapter, as it were. You know, the first part of Genesis, chapters 1 to 11, you know, they cover thousands and thousands of years in the span of just 11 chapters. But here, you know, in this new section, the narrative slows down. Right? Moses deliberately slows down the pace of the narrative. In fact, in the next 10 chapters from Genesis 12 to Genesis 21, it covers only a span, a span of only 25 years. Right? So 11 chapters, thousands of years, and then here, 10 chapters, just 25 years. And here, in, in these chapters, the, the camera zooms in, right? It moves from the wide angle, the wide angle picture of what God is doing in all of creation, and the camera zooms in on the generations of Terah, specifically on one of his sons, whose name is Abram. And Genesis 12 to 50 really picks up the story of Abram and his descendants, Genesis 12 to 50 is the story of God working through several generations of Abraham's family. It's the story of generations of grace, generations of God's faithful grace. Now, this is not academic ancient history. You know, you may know the Chinese proverb, yin sui si yuan, which means uh, when we drink, we remember the source of the water. You know, and this proverb has a lot of meaning for this part of Genesis. This proverb encourages us to know who we are by knowing where we come from, knowing where we've, you know, the, the source, our source, as it were, where we belong. And I think this is the reason why Moses wrote these chapters for the Israelites, the original audience of, of, these, of this book. Uh, he, wanted, he wanted Israel to know where they've come from. He wanted Israel to realize that they didn't just pop out of nowhere, but they are the fruit of God's faithfulness to His promises made so many years ago to this man called Abram. And I put it to us that Genesis is written for us as well, not as ancient academic history, but this is our family story if we trust in God's saving promises. You know, God is inviting all of us to find our place in His story. God's plan encompasses all nations, both Israel, both Jews, as well as Gentiles like us. And Genesis 12 speaks of God's grace and encourages us to believe in the same God that Abraham believed in, to trust in these saving promises. And I pray that as we hear about how God calls Abraham and how Abraham trusts in God, that we will also follow in the footsteps of Abraham's faith. Because when we believe in these saving promises, when we believe in the promised son of Abram, we join the same journey of faith. And this becomes our family history. This is our story. And I pray that we will find our place in God's story. So we're going to go through Genesis 12 in just two main points. Uh, number one, God's call and Abraham's faith. So this point is pretty long, so don't be alarmed. If we're almost to the end of our time and we're still in point one. 
And the second point is God's fall and God's, uh, Abraham's fall, sorry, Abraham's fall and God's grace. So that's a shorter point. So two points, God's call and Abraham's faith, point one. And point two, Abraham's fall and God's grace. So point one, God's call and Abraham's faith. You know, it all begins with God's call. And I think this is a consistent pattern, a repeated pattern that we see throughout Scripture. God is always the one who takes the initiative. He's always the one who makes the first move. Uh, we love Him because He first loved us and chose us. You know, the Creator God who spoke the universe into existence is also the Savior God who speaks to Abraham. And we know that when God speaks, something happens. And it's not because Abraham was righteous or deserving that God first approached him. Joshua 24 tells us that Abraham's father, Terah, was an idol worshipper. Right? It says, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Long ago your fathers lived beyond the Euphrates, Terah, the father of Abraham and of Nahor, and they served other gods. Then I took your father Abraham from beyond the river. God graciously set his love on Abraham, not because Abraham was an outstanding person, but God chose Abraham who was probably a pagan idolater as well. Friends, I think this underscores the fact that we are saved by God's grace alone. He is the one who calls us out of the darkness of our sin into His marvelous light. Not because we are deserving. How can we be? Because we are spiritually dead. But God's the one who speaks life into us. He gives us life. And God graciously calls Abram and He promises good to Abram. And He makes these promises to Abram in verses 2 to 3 and then in verse 7 as well. So these are key promises. So, so listen to these, two, these few verses. And I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. To your offspring, I will give this land. You know, notice the repeated I wills in the promises. Uh, this emphasizes that the promises are God's doing. The promises depend on God accomplishing them. You know, God doesn't tell Abraham, I will do this if you do this first. I will do this, but I need you to also do this. Actually, no. God simply says, I will do these things. These promises are for you. Trust me to fulfill them. Now, these promises don't ultimately depend on Abraham, but on the God who makes and keeps His Word. Now, he is the anchor of our assurance. And we can be confident of God's salvation, not because of our performance, ultimately, but because of God's grace and His faithfulness. You know, therefore, beloved, we can be humble and grateful. We can praise and thank God for how He has graciously saved us. He's saving us and He will save us at the end. Not because of anything we have done or deserved, but simply because He is faithful and gracious to His promises. You know, all that we are, all that we have, we owe to God. There's nothing that we have that we have not first received from Him. 
You know, and these promises are significant because, you know, if you want to understand these promises, these are the, the big picture of what God is doing to reverse the consequences of sin. So that's how we're meant to understand these promises to Abraham. Now, these are, this is what God is doing, His, His plan to save sinners and to restore creation to its proper glory. So this is what God is doing. And these promises uh, flesh out the plan that God is about to accomplish. And God's promises to Abraham can be summed up in three aspects. Right? Just three aspects. People, place, and blessing. Right? So this is how we understand uh, these promises. Uh, the first aspect, people. God promises to make Abraham a great nation. And you'll say later on in Genesis 17 that kings and a kingdom will come from Abraham. So from this one man, God will raise up a vast multitude of people under God's rule. Now, as the Tower of Babel shows us, you know, sin divides us. Right? Sin scatters people. Sin separates us from God and sin separates us from one another. But God now promises to reverse the consequences of sin. How? By gathering a people for himself through this man, Abram. You know, beloved, I, I wonder if we realize that God has saved us into community. This is His plan right from the beginning. God saves us as individuals, yes, but as individuals join to this larger company of His people. From the beginning, God never intended for us to live alone as His people, but he, His plan from the beginning has been to join us together as one. We are saved for community. His plan has been to gather a people for Himself. So what does this mean for us? It means that we ought to commit to joining a local church. If we're not already in Christian community, if we're not gathered with God's people, then I, I, I pray that we will gather, especially now in this season, the more we're able to gather, let's come together as God's people because this is what God has saved us for, to gather with one another as the people of God. So commit to joining a local church. You know, commit to building relationships with one another. You know, reflect God's heart by welcoming others to the gathering. Especially those, you know, those of us who are older in the church, who've been around a bit longer, you know, welcome those who are newer to the church. I think as we do so, we reflect God's heart of being a God who gathers people for Himself. And I think we can all take the initiative to know one another, to love one another, and to reach out and serve one another. You know, especially those who are different from us. Maybe especially those whom we don't know very well. I think we can all take the initiative to reflect what God is like by welcoming one another to the gathering. And God will make Abram's name great because he will bless the nations through Abram. And indeed, God later changes Abram's name in Genesis 17. He says to Abram there, no longer shall your name be called Abram, which means exalted father, but your name shall be called Abraham, father of a multitude. For I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations, and kings shall come from you. And indeed, Abraham's name will endure across generations because God will bless the world through Abraham's offspring after him. You know, the fact that we are here 
on a Sunday morning in 2022, speaking of Abraham, I, I think proves a point that God has kept His promise to Abraham. His name has truly endured across millennia. You know, again, see the contrast with the people of Babel, right? The people of Babel tried to build a tower to make a name for themselves, right? They wanted identity, meaning, significance, purpose, but they wanted those things without God. And they ended up with nothing scattered across the face of the earth. But here, God graciously gives Abraham a name. So beloved, instead of trying to make a name for ourselves, will we trust God to give us a name that can never be taken away? Will we trust God with that name? The second aspect of God's promise, place. God promises to bring Abraham to the land that I will show you. Verse 1. And he later leads Abraham to the land of Canaan and he pledges to give it to Abraham and his descendants. Verse 7. And you see how God is reversing the consequences of sin. A place is significant because a place is where God dwells with His people. But when Adam and Eve fell, God banished them from His place. God banished them from His presence in the Garden of Eden. But here, God is promising Abraham a place and He's promising to bring His people back to where He will again dwell with them. He's reversing the consequences of sin. You know, our sin has separated us from God, but God promises to bring us back to Himself, to, to the place that He has promised us. And God promises to be with us. And in His presence, there is fullness of joy, fullness of life, fullness of peace. The third aspect of God's promise is blessing. So people, place, Blessing. God promises to bless Abram so that he will be a blessing. He's blessed to be a blessing to all the families of the earth. Right? In turning away from God, Adam and Eve brought judgment on humanity and that judgment is, is described by the word curse. Right? So the word curse pops up quite a number of times in Genesis 3 as a result of the fall into sin. But here, instead of curse, you have Blessing. It's a reversal again of what happened in the fall. You know, and, and notice it is for all the families of the earth, not just for Israel, not just for Abraham's family, but through Abraham to all the families of the earth. You know, this, this, is God, this is God's intention from the beginning. God's plan has been to bless the nations through this one man, Abraham. And, and this promise this plan really lays the foundation for global missions. So missions doesn't begin with the Great Commission in Matthew 28 in the New Testament. Missions begins right here in the Old Testament, in Genesis 12. God's intent to bless the nations through Abraham's offspring. And notice how our standing with God, you know, you know, where we stand, vis-a-vis -vis God, depends on where we stand with Abram. Right? God says in verse 3 to Abram, I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you, I will curse. So if we belong to Abram, 
if we receive Him, as it were, we will receive God's blessing. But if we have no part with Abraham, if we reject Him, then we will suffer the judgment of God's curse. Isn't it, isn't it fascinating that the fate of the entire world, right, all the families of the earth, they, they, it passes through this one man, Abraham. He is the only way for blessing to come from God. So if we belong to Abraham, we will enjoy God's acceptance and favor. But apart from Abraham, we will face the curse of God's judgment. Because through Abraham, through this one man, God promises to gather a people. Through this one man, He will bring this people into His presence. And through this one man, He will bless all the families of the earth. You know, Genesis 12 is one of the most important passages in the whole Bible. You know, if, we, if we understand, if we rightly understand these, three, these promises to Abraham, you, know, you really understand the rest of the Bible. Because the rest of the Bible is this one continuous story of God working out, of God keeping these promises to Abraham. When we go from Old Testament to New Testament, it's, it's the working through of this one story. It's really the story of God's faithfulness across many, many generations. Generations of His grace as He works out and He keeps His word to Abraham. And all of God's promises to Abraham, so spoiler alert, so all, all of God's promises to Abraham really point forward to their final fulfillment in Jesus Christ, the son of Abraham, as Matthew's genealogy in Matthew 1 tells us. Therefore, God's command to Abraham, go from your country, isn't just a call to move house. It's a call to trust in God's plan of salvation. It's a call to trust in God's saving promises. It's a call to trust in God to save. This is how we're understanding God's call of Abraham. It's not simply go somewhere else, move your house, but it's trust me to save you and trust that I will bring salvation to all the families of the earth. So as we understand Abraham's call, we're really seeing a picture of conversion. This is what conversion looks like. So what does it mean to go? What does it mean to go? Well, we learn from Abraham's life and example that going is costly. Abraham's to leave his country, his kin, and his father's house. And you might think, oh, what's the big deal, right? Just moving to a different place. But no, think, think about it. You know, in, in that culture especially, your country, your kin, your extended family, your immediate household, this was, this, was your, this was your economy. This was your defense. This was your social structure. This was everything in your life. Abraham is to leave his old life behind. Right? Whatever he had trusted in for his comfort, for his security, for his economic and social well-being, for his identity, for his meaning in life. Abraham is called to leave all that behind. This is a very radical call. It's a call, it's a, it's a call to completely change direction in life. Now, friends, God is calling us to leave behind what we have trusted in 
apart from Him and to trust Him. That's the call to conversion. Not, I want 50% of this and I want 50% of God. No, God's calling us to leave it all behind. All the things that we have trusted in to give sense and meaning to our life, God's calling us, leave that behind and trust me alone. That's the call to Abraham and that's the call to us as well. And the call to Abraham really reflects the cost of discipleship. I think it echoes the words of Jesus later on in the New Testament. Jesus says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. So God calls us, you know, leave it behind and trust me. Trust, that, trust in me alone to save you. So the call to leave everything behind. You know, this weekend, uh, I've been moving house. So my family has been moving house and we just spent the first night at our new home yesterday. Uh, so, you know, as you can imagine, moving house is a really busy period with packing, unpacking. And right now, we still have some boxes in, in, the, in the new house and some boxes that I forgot to move in our old house that I need to move over the next week or so. You know, moving house is troublesome and it's inconvenient. You know, how many of us enjoy moving house? Hands up. Oh, Zachary, run the back. That's because you didn't do enough. <laughs> yeah, so how many of us enjoy moving house? You know, we don't enjoy moving, do we? Because moving is troublesome, it's inconvenient, it's a pain to pack, it's a pain to unpack. So you've got to think, you know, why, why, did, Abraham, why did Abraham move? Right? It just doesn't make sense. You know, why, why did he up stakes and go when God told him, when God told him to. You know, especially when we think about the promises and, and you realize that the promises don't really make worldly sense. And the, the promises are especially shocking because they seem so impossible. So I know these promises may, meet, may seem very familiar to us, but I, I hope we don't lose the, the impact of these promises. You know, think, think about them. How will... Abram be a great nation when he doesn't even have a child of his own. And Genesis 11 verse 30 says, Sarai is barren. And how will Abram's name be great when he's a nobody? He's a wandering nomad who is already 75 years old. You know, if God were to make these promises, why, wouldn't, why, why didn't God choose someone who is younger perhaps? Someone who is more prominent in society, maybe a king or a great warrior, perhaps. You know, how will Abraham possess the land when the Canaanites are already there, as Genesis 12 verse 6 tells us? So why would Abraham be willing to go, given that these promises seem so unlikely? They seem so impossible. Why take the trouble to move house? You know, we would move house because we trust that where we're moving to is a better place. Right? If, 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 we told, you know, if, if I were to tell you move to somewhere where it's a lot worse, you wouldn't move. It's not worth the trouble. So Abraham, so why did Abraham move? I think it tells us that going means walking by faith and not by sight. Unbelief looks at the things as they appear, but faith... Trust God. 
and faith trusts that God is able to do what He has promised, even if we don't see it, even if we don't have it in hand. But faith trusts that He's able to do what He's promised. Which is, what, which is why Hebrews 11 verse, verse 1 describes faith in this way. Right? Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, hoped for because we haven't received them yet. But we are assured, we are assured that what we hope for will come to pass because we trust God. That's faith. We go not because we, are, we have the things in hand, but we go because we trust God that He's able to keep His promises. And Hebrews 11.1 1 goes on to say, faith is the conviction of things not seen. Not seen. We haven't received them yet, but we trust that we will. You know, God doesn't give Abram many details. You, know, you notice in His instructions to Abram, God merely calls Abram to go. Go to the land that I will show you. you know, if we're honest, these are pretty vague instructions. You know, I, I, I drive my boys around all the time. And you know, oftentimes when, when I drive them around, they always ask me this question, Dad, how long will it take? And I always tell them, 20 minutes. You know, how long will it take to get here? 20 minutes. How long will it take to get there? 20 minutes. There? 20 minutes. So answers always 20 minutes. Right? So, so they, they, kind of, they, know, they know the drill already. And, and yet, you know, in spite of those very vague instructions, they, they get in the car with me. Right? They, they trust me. Right? Why? Because they know me. Right? And they trust that I will take them where they need to be and I will not harm them in getting them there. And in the same way, you know, God gives these pretty vague instructions to Abram, but Abram goes because he trusts God. He trusts God. He trusts in God's person and His plan. You'll notice how Abram doesn't say anything in this passage, verses 1 to 9. Abram is silent in these verses. Why? I think the sense is that he's going by faith. There's no argumentation with God, right? There's no dispute or discussion. It's, yes, I trust you, and I'm going. Hebrews 11, verse 8 says this of Abram. By faith, Abram obeyed when he was called to go to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out, and he went out, listen to this, not knowing where he was going. Not knowing where he was going. You know, in a place like Singapore, we take pride in our ability to plan. You know, nothing wrong with planning. But, you know, even as we plan, do we also realize the limitations of our knowledge? I, th- I think in, if, if COVID has taught us anything, it's taught us that our plans can very quickly go, th- go out the window. Right? All the plans that we had, all fallen through. You know, by circumstances beyond our control. You know, God calls us to go by faith. Trusting in Him, not in our plans. Now you realize in Genesis 12 that faith doesn't depend on knowing everything. Faith depends on knowing God, what He's like, how He is trustworthy, knowing that He is able to lead us and He is able to keep His Word. You know, we have faith because we trust in God's character that He is gracious and merciful, abounding in steadfast love and mercy, and that He's faithful. So beloved, how is God calling you to trust Him? Right? Not trust in your plans, 
but to trust Him to go forth in faith. You know, as a pastor, sometimes folks ask me, what plans do I have for the church? And yeah, yeah, I can share some plans that we have, you know, things that we want to do this coming year. But, but actually, fundamentally, I don't really have plans for the church. I, I can do what God calls me to do. Right? I think that's something that the elders can do. Right? We teach His Word faithfully, disciple, encourage us all to also disciple one another, to grow one another in the faith, to continue to invest in one another, to grow, to become more and more like Jesus. And that's what we can do. And then we trust God. I think that's, that's how God is calling us to walk by faith as a church, right? to, to trust Him. Not to trust in our plans, not to trust in our resources, but to trust Him because He is faithful to keep His promises, to gather a people and to bring them home safely, to be with Him forever. A genuine faith is neither passive nor merely intellectual. No, true faith obeys in action. And because Abraham trusts God, he leaves, right? He packs up and leaves Haran with Sarai, Lot, and the rest of his household to go to the land of Canaan, right? Verse 4, Abraham went as the Lord had told him in obedience to God. You notice how Abraham's faith isn't just academic. Abraham's faith leads to adoration and action. He worships God by building two altars and calling upon the name of the Lord. So this former idolater now calls on God's name. And you notice how in these verses, Abraham does a bit of a, 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 a tour of the land. Right? He travels through the land from Shechem in the north, southwards to between Bethel and Ai, which is the central part of the land. Then he goes further south to the Negev. Right? Abraham's moving from north to south. Now, why is he doing that? Abraham is surveying the land by faith. Right? He, he's going on a walk through the land, looking at the land that God has promised to give to him. He's exercising faith as he walks the length of the land. Now, beloved, God is calling us to walk in the footsteps of Abraham, whose belief in God's promises was shown through his worship and works. Right? If, if, we, if we truly believe God, it will show in our worship and works. We, we, we can't say, I believe in God, and it leaves us unchanged. It will show in adoration and action. So how does trusting God lead us to worship Him, to work for His glory? I think James in the New Testament rightly says, faith without works is dead. If we trust God, we will go. We will pack up and leave our old life behind and we will trust Him. So how does your life and my life show evidence that we share in Abraham's faith? God has kept His promises to Abraham through His Son, Jesus. And in Christ, God is gathering a people to belong to Him. In Christ, God has come to be with us. Jesus is the very place where we meet God, for He shows us the Father. And in Christ, God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. We deserve God's judgment, but Christ has come He's lived a perfect life. He's died the death that we 
should have died and He's risen from the grave so that we might receive free forgiveness and life by trusting in Him, trusting in how God's saving promises find their fulfillment ultimately in this son of Abraham, in Jesus Himself. As Galatians tells us, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us so that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to us, to the Gentiles. And all of God's promises find their yes in Christ. So to sum up very quickly, point two in our remaining time, Abraham's fall and God's grace. You know, so we've, we've seen how Abraham is an example of faith. Right? We, we spend a bit of time just thinking about the promises and Abraham's response of faith. But Abraham is, while he's an example of faith, he's by no means perfect. His faith is not perfect. And like us, Abraham struggles to trust in God as well. In fact, Abraham's faith fails the first time it is tested. You know, we're told in the rest of Genesis 12 that because of a famine in the land, Abraham sojourns in Egypt. You know, but before they get to Egypt, Abraham tells Sarai to lie about her marital status because he's afraid the Egyptians will kill him for Sarai. So husbands, do not copy Abraham here. He's not a good example. And he tells, he tells his wife, right, say you are my sister, that it may go well with me because of you and that my life may be spared for your sake. You know, at best, that is merely a half-truth at best. You know, th think about Abraham's actions. You know, they're not driven by faith at this point, but more by fear. Right? If, if God's promises are true, then surely God would protect Abraham and keep his word. Surely God is able to keep Abraham safe in Egypt. But instead of trusting God, Abraham takes matters into his own hands you know, don't we often do that when we are fearful, worried and anxious? We take matters into our own hands, come up with our own plans. Now, Abraham tries to be clever to save himself. And who do we turn to in our times of anxiety and trouble? But Abraham's plan backfires spectacularly. Right? Maybe just as our plans to fix ourselves backfire as well. Self-salvation doesn't work. You know, thinking Sarai is unmarried, Pharaoh very quickly takes her into his household to be a part of his harem. And he gives Abraham a rich reward. You know, but this reward that he gives to Abraham, perhaps is a bit of an ill-gotten gain right, on Abraham's part. And friends, this warns us against thinking that prosperity is always a good thing. Earthly wealth and success don't necessarily mean that we're doing what God wants us to do and that God is pleased with us. You know, in trying to save himself, Abraham put Sarai in jeopardy. You know, husbands, never put your wives in this position. And Abraham endangered God's promises. You know, how will Abraham have offspring if his wife belongs to another man? But Abraham's, as well as our failures, don't derail God's plan. You know, this is the good news in this part of Genesis. God remains faithful even when we are faithless, God will accomplish His plans with us and sometimes in spite of us. God intervenes. He afflicts Pharaoh and his household, prompting Pharaoh to return Sarai to Abraham. You know, God Himself, I will. Right? He says, 
He will accomplish His plan of salvation. He will not fail to protect His people and His promises. Abraham is saved by grace, not by works. Abraham was supposed to bring blessing to the nations, but because of his disobedience, he brought trouble to Pharaoh. Beloved, we must trust and obey God if we are to be salt and light in the world. Otherwise, we'll just bring trouble to others. How do we do this? We need God's grace and help. Like us, Abraham was also a sinner in need of a saviour. And Abraham himself looked forward to the coming of his promised offspring, who would be the saviour of the world. In fact, Jesus says this of Abraham in John 8, Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. Isn't it remarkable? Abraham trusted in a saviour. So friends, what in the world is God doing? He is still doing what he has begun to do thousands of years ago. God is keeping his word to Abraham and accomplishing his plan of salvation through a son of Abraham. And in Christ, we become children of God and in Christ, we become sons and daughters of Abraham. For we share in his faith and we have the privilege of joining with God in this amazing plan to bring blessing to the nations. That is who we are meant to be as God's people. That is what we were saved for, to glorify Him among the nations. And like Abraham, we can look forward to the fulfillment of God's promises. And we can live by faith and hope today as we wait for Jesus to come back and bring this amazing story to a glorious conclusion. And God invites us all to be a part of His story by believing in His Son. Will we go? Will we trust and obey just as Abraham did? Let's pray together. Gracious Father, we thank You and praise You. You are high and lifted up and yet you are also the God who draws near. We thank you for how you called Abraham so many years ago and made these amazing promises to him. And we thank you for your faithfulness in fulfilling these promises through your Son, Jesus Christ. We praise you for the offer that you make to us, that we can know Jesus, that we can be a part of your amazing story. So Father, we pray that you will work in our hearts. We pray that you would turn us away from all the things that we trust in apart from you. Turn us away from our attempts to make a name for ourselves and instead turn us to you that we might trust you and find in Christ all that we need. We pray this in his name. Amen.